We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight we are here to break down the All-22 Coaches film from the New York Giants' Week 3 loss to the Atlanta Falcons, dropping them to 0-3. This will be the offensive breakdown. As you know, for those of you who are longtime listeners, every week we break down the offense on All-22 Coaches film, pour hours into the film, watch it over and over, come away with key takeaways, break it down drive by drive, and then go over some superlatives, the best player on film, most unheralded player on film. A grade 1 through 10 with decimals for the pass blocking, the run blocking, the best play call of the game, best throw of the game. And then we do it for the defense. We do it all over for the defense. That's a separate pod, though. That's coming up. Obviously, season not going the way we wanted to. Oh, man, oh, man, am I disappointed in my own self, Nick, for letting myself believe that this team could be an 11-win team. Having said that, and I do want to start tonight by getting into some big-picture stuff, even though this is an All-22 breakdown, I think it's... A service, it's a disservice to the fans if we don't touch on the big picture stuff at least a little bit. And I tweeted about this, Nick. So let me get your take. I really feel like the Giants blew this game from a coaching standpoint. And it sucks to say, because I think back to those bad Pat Shermer teams. I think back to those bad Ben McAdoo teams. And I'm not as sure that coaching was as much of an issue specifically on an in-game basis. Now I have to think back. I'd have to look back. I'd have to go over notes from those games. But man, I'm not trying to give credit here to Dave Gettleman for assembling a roster that's not so bad because he's had everything. The guy has had the most draft capital by far of any general manager over these last few years, four years, any general manager. 
And it's not even close. Even without the Beckham picks, it's the most draft capital. He's also had an owner who's allowed two spending sprees in free agency, and then one that included Bradbury and Martinez and Ryan, which is essentially another spending spree versus the rest of the league. They spent a ton. They Only three teams have spent more right now. They have no cap space next year. So I'm not giving him credit, but at the same time, the Giants were the most more talented team out there, by far in my opinion, considerably than the Falcons, and it's not even close. The Falcons are going through an actual rebuild right now. And yet, the Falcons won this game. And to me, it comes down to the coaching. I blame the coaching. I blame Joe Judge. Mainly, he's the head coach. And he specifically made some errors in this game that were egregious. And I blame Jason Garrett. Where are you at when it comes to that? It's absolutely the coaching, but it's also the players and execution. I feel like on so many of these plays that we're about to go over, there's always one player, Dan, one player making a mistake, one player not living up to his assignment, one player tripping over his own feet in certain aspects, man. And that is another part to where I feel like the Giants sometimes are out there playing with 10 guys because all it takes is one weak link in the chain and then the entire play is blown up. And for whatever reason, that seems to happen on a first and 10 or, you know, a second and eight. And it puts Daniel Jones into a third and long type of situation. And you can kind of look back and say, well, that is coaching as well. He's not, the coaches are not preparing these players to live up to their potential. And I think there's some merit to that as well. But I think it's collective. I, I do. I, if I had to assign blame, yes, I think it does lay at Joe Judge because he is the head football coach. I also think players have to do with this as well because they just make dumb mistakes in just the most inopportune times and put themselves into a position to fail. And let me be clear about this because I did tweet about this earlier this week and I stand by it. When I say this, I mean to a certain extent, like view this on a scale. In the end, the players play the coach's coach. The players make the biggest difference. I've gone over that with a former head coach who was head coach of an NFL team for a decade plus and was an assistant with the Giants, John Fox. He went over that, and he doesn't mind if I drop that. There were some things that were told to be left off the record. This wasn't one of them. He says, in the end, it really does come down to these players. The coaches can only take you so far. Having said that, with that scale in mind, I just can't remember a game where I felt like the Giants so clearly were the better team, talent-wise. And not only talent-wise, like not just living up to the hype, like, yeah, I agree with you. There were tons of blown assignments. There were missed tackles that were egregious that led to bigger plays for Atlanta that didn't need to happen. There were stupid penalties from the Giants. There were stupid missed assignments from the pass blocking, consistently missed assignments. There one yeah. with Caden Smith and Nate Solder. There was one with Bredesen. We didn't know the play. All sorts of things. Dropped interceptions. But at the same time, the Giants had the ball for what seemed like the whole game. I know the stats don't show it at the end. They moved the ball in almost every single possession. Atlanta moved the ball on three total possessions. Like, they didn't move the ball all game, except for three possessions. Two that were aided by penalties. Or one was aided by penalties, sorry. The other was aided by missed tackles. And a pa- and then a final penalty. Yes, a penalty in the end. It was a real penalty, but still, aided by a penalty. And then one that was their final drive. That was like two-minute hurry-up. Cordell Patterson broke another tackle. They only need one more play. It was Joel Peppers and Kyle Pitts. Joel Peppers doesn't have what it takes to cover Kyle Pitts one-on-one. Got destroyed off the break. And that was it. And it felt like on the flip side, the Giants were moving the ball pretty much at will and then just bogging down every time. They very rarely had three and outs. It was so clear to me they were the better team. So why do I blame the coaching more than I do for past games with Shermer, with McAdoo, whoever it may be, the coach of the past? Because it's a philosophy thing, man. Garrett took one shot of 20 plus yards in this game. Garrett ran the ball into tight formations. Garrett, <sighs> Garrett's playing to get to the sticks. 
Joe Judge is punting on fourth and threes. Joe Judge is calling it a field position game. Joe Judge is trying to grind out a 17-14 win when he simply doesn't have to grind out this win. This was not a game they had to grind out. If they're playing the Cowboys, they have to try to grind that game out. If they're playing the Bucs, they have to try to grind a win out. If they're playing the Seahawks of last year with Colt McCoy, you've got to try to grind a win out. But when you have a better team, and it was clear on paper they had a better team than the Falcons, this Falcons defense has nothing from a talent standpoint, almost absolutely nothing. The defense looked hapless. Like, the only thing going for that defense was whoever was going against Nate Solder, because Nate Solder shouldn't be playing in the NFL. With the exception of that, there was not much going on. Their run defense wasn't great. They missed a ton. There's a ton of plays that should have went for bigger plays in the run game that the Giants just didn't execute, whether that be Saquon Barkley's fault or, you know, one missed block here by Hernandez not getting to the second level. Whatever it may be, we'll get into all that. And on the flip side, the Giants' defense held them so many times, time after time at a time, three total drives for the Falcons. And yet you see a game that the Giants lose 17-14. So I did need to start there, Nick. I needed to get that off my chest. I just felt like this was one of the most poorly coached games I've watched by a Giants team in a long time. It's unfortunate, too. I mean, Joe Judge, he talks a big game. I like Joe Judge. I like, I like how he presents himself. But at the end of the day, just like we said in the quick reaction podcast, Dan, this is a results-oriented business. You need to win football games. The Giants just haven't won football games. It seems like it's been forever since they won football games. It's just been a dumpster fire. Now the Giants are off to an 0-3 start right now. It's unfortunate. It's the reality they're in. But it's time to turn our focus to the New Orleans Saints. But on this podcast and on the next podcast, we are going to talk about why the Giants lost this football game. So let's dive into that, bro. Let's touch on that. Let's first take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick.com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. Use that today. You can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash banter. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, first drive of the game for the Giants, right after forcing that punt for the Falcons, who when they, and they got one first down, then they punted. First drive happens. Give me your key takeaway from this first drive and what you came out of this thinking, because Giants got the ball here in a pretty solid spot here. I mean, not necessarily from a field position standpoint, 20, but at the 20-yard line, but they were able to get the ball all the way down to the Falcons' eight for a first and goal on the eight. What's your key takeaway from this first possession? Giants failed to take full advantage of another big play, Dan, reminiscent of week one. DJ did a great job pre-snap seeing a single high safety on that 38-yard catch to board. There was no way the Falcons could get to a too-high look from the alignment they were in. It was obviously man coverage, so Board had a one-on-one. He won at the line of scrimmage, good on him. Jones did a great job looking off the safety towards that bunch side to ensure the safety couldn't get over and affect Board's catch. It was a great play by the Giants, but the drive it ended up just getting killed kind of by Ben Bredesen. The Giants had the man look they wanted, and Sterling Shepard was open on a pivot route, but Bredesen and Price, man, they just kind of fell over each other, and it was the easiest sack Grady Jarrett could ever have. Yeah. And on the, I think it was... I think it was the next play. Uh, it was just a great individual effort by Dante Fowler Jr., who ended up blowing up that zone read RPO type of pass to Evan Ingram, which was a well-designed play that could have went for a touchdown if it was completed. But Dante Fowler got his mitts up there and knocked it out of the air. This drive, man, looked good, just like the majority of drives in this game. Okay, it's solid, solid drive. One key mistake by one player blows it up, and that just seems to be the mantra for the Giants this season. Yep, you're right. A couple takeaways for me on this one. Love the ball by Jones to C.J. Board. I mean, that was just layered, dropping right in. Perfect spot. One thing you always want to look for on these deep throws from your quarterback is, can he get it to the outside shoulder? Because the ones who just hang it inside, I remember watching Kyle Oletta in his first preseason uh, slate with the Giants. You kind of knew, like, okay, this was a hyped fourth-round rookie because I remember going in, there was like a Corsi or someone else who's like, oh, wow, the Giants may have got the steal of the draft here with Loletta. I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was a Corsi, so I don't want to quote that. But you kind of knew from the first preseason, no, he's not going to make it as an NFL starter when he was hanging those deep balls on the inside shoulder and they were getting picked. Jones layered this one, outside shoulder, great ball. I thought that throughout this game, and now I will say this, and we'll talk about this after, Nick, but 
Jones looked better on the broadcast angle than he did to me when I watched the All-22. There were some plays that just he left out there on the All-22. There was throws he missed, bad ball placement. Um, less this week than ever of locking on to first reads, which I thought was a solid improvement. But one area he's really gotten better at, I think, and it showed on this first drive, is escape. That's what I was going to say, though, man. I was going to say it's his escapability and his ability to maneuver the pocket, right? Yep. That's exactly right. His sense of pressure has gotten so much better, it seems like, or at least that was on display in this game. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and say that. Like, even on the the sack fumble that we'll get to later, like, that's not on him. I mean, Slaughter just gets embarrassed on that play. That's not, I like, yeah, he, we don't want him fumbling, but that, that I'm not calling that one. There were so many other plays. Like, there was a play on this drive where, you know, first down, Bredesen just gets completely beat and Jones escapes, you know? I mean, it hurt the play, chance, the play, uh, the play's chance of going anywhere, but he escapes there and he gets out. Um, and so, overall, in this game, I thought he did a really good job of escaping when he needed to and avoiding sacks in that regard. I thought that it was a really bad first try for Bredesen. I thought it was a bad first try for the run blocking. There was the first down play after, so it was a really the first play was that nice uh, check down kind of to Barkley, where I thought Jones did a good job of working back to Barkley there, perfect, easy twelve yards. Then that first run play right after, it was just such a disaster. You got the two double teams there and no lane. Like you have Solder and, and Hernandez on one of those double teams, and they just the, there's a lineman who just fights through Solder and Hernandez there. Like I just. At this point with Hernandez, and this was evident throughout the game, there was another play late in the game where Giants could have got a huge run up the middle and Barkley actually made the right read, processed it, tried to cut to the middle. But Hernandez has to get up to make the play work to that second level. Just doesn't get up. And this was the 34th overall pick from Dave Gettleman. Can't be this – like in year four, he can't be this type this type of average guard at 34. At 34, when you go interior offensive line, you want Eric McCoy of the Saints. You want Braden Smith. You want players who are really good. It's interior offensive line. You're not taking gambles at 34. You're supposed to be taking quality starters. And he's simply just not that. But I wanted to get your take on that first run play because to me, I watched that and I just couldn't make any sense of how it didn't work because they had the two doubles on that right side and yet nowhere to go. That's the exact look you want right there, Dan. You have a three technique and you're doing the GH counter. That's the play you're going to run. So you're going to pull the backside guard. You're going to pull the sniffer. Backside guard's going to kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage. That's Ben Bredesen. He does a pretty solid job doing that. And then uh, Caden Smith lead blocks for Saquon Barkley. But it's on Solder to block down. And then it's on Hernandez to assist him with that block. And then one of them are supposed to climb eventually. But that doesn't end up happening. What happens is the double team ends up getting split. I'm not really 100% sure why it got split because it does seem like before the running back kind of gets into the lane that it's a solid block by both of these players. But Saquon Barkley hits the hole, and at the time he hits the hole, the leverage of the defender gets much lower than Hernandez, whose pad level rises, and then Nate Solder, who's naturally tall. He's like six foot eight. His pad level is naturally high. So the defender just kind of squeezes between both and ends up kind of getting his hands on Saquon Barkley and clogging up the hole. But it doesn't really necessarily matter, like you said, because Billy Price holds the backside to eye shade and drags him to the ground to kind of blow up the play as well. And the GH counter, they had some success running. And I think they ran it three or four times in this game. It's the play that Jason Garrett ran so much last season. It was a staple of his playbook. But on this specific play right here, just did not necessarily work out for a variety of different reasons. A, Billy Price, and B, Solder and Hernandez's ability to not effectively double team a three technique where you have a big advantage to double team and win at the point of attack when you have a tackle blocking down on a three technique and will hernandez i mean he's just a letdown bro there's no other way to quantify it in my opinion there there are plenty of just plays throughout this game i'm sure we'll kind of break down as we go along that would suggest that will hernandez 
is mistake prone. I mean, the the screen pass that was a huge game for the Giants. Will Hernandez is too aggressive getting downfield and, and not patient enough to allow that play to materialize. Will Hernandez is also beat a couple times in pass protection. I don't even understand it because sometimes he just gets bullied backwards. It's like, dude, you have an anchor sometimes that's just excellent. You stonewall people. And on the very next play against the same exact defensive lineman, you'll get pushed back and get put on ice skates. He's just wildly inconsistent and it's getting maddening, bro. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I wish I could disagree with it, but I simply can't. Let's move on to the second series, though, after the Giants settle for that field goal. You know, 11 plays, 73 yards, 516 off the board, three points. That's the, in a microcosm, that's Jason Garrett, Joe Judge's Giants offense, and that's kind of why they're in this hole that they're in, you know, with six wins over their last, what, what is it, 13 games now? And again, remember, we talk about those wins. There's a lot of fake noise about it this offseason. Progress, culture, Blah, blah, blah. All stuff I didn't subscribe to at the time. And when you look back, well, one of those wins was against Andy Dalton, who's not starting in the NFL. The other was against Brandon Allen. We're not going to go over it again, but four of those wins were against quarterbacks who weren't starting in the NFL. So really, they had one good win in the Joe Judge era in 18 games, that Seattle game. One in 18 is unacceptable, especially when you're losing games to a team like the Falcons. But, you know, this is a microcosm. They score three points. Next drive, four plays, 24 yards. What was your takeaway here? Not much going on for them. So the Giants, I mean, they just waste another good first down gain on this drive with a failed rushing attempt that lost three yards and a missed pass by Daniel Jones on that third and five. Beautiful route by Sterling Shepard. And I like that play concept. I thought Jason Garrett did a good job putting his players in the position to succeed. Emotion Shep to stack off the line of scrimmage with Tony on the line of scrimmage to confirm that it is man coverage. You get that look. You realize it's man coverage. You have Tony release outside to force the outside corner to match his route. And then you have Shep stem hard inside to sell an inside route before planting off that inside foot and heading back to the flat. And he was wide open if you watch the play, Dan. Wide open, but DJ fails to complete the pass because he just overthrew it. And that's on the quarterback that is not on Jason Garrett. That was actually a good play call there. And little mistakes like this from Daniel Jones prevent you from scoring points. And I think Daniel Jones, he is the furthest problem on this New York Giants offense, but he did leave plays out there, as you said earlier in the podcast, and this was one. This was a bad one. Yeah, this is just an example of what we talked about earlier, Nick, which is he looked a lot better on the broadcast than when I went back on the All-22. This was one of his misplays. The, the the big one was later in the game that would have sealed the game. We'll get to it in a bit. Um, he had a chance to make a pretty easy throw. I mean, again, both these throws are from balanced base. The pass rush was not there. He had a clean pocket. Should be able to drive good accuracy, good ball placement on both. And I wouldn't go as far as saying he's the furthest thing from a problem on the Giants offense. I'd say, like, I'd, really, I'd put Thomas in that furthest category. I'd put Galladay in that furthest category. Put Shepard in that furthest category. I, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of where it stop, stops right now. There's just not much going for the offense. But Jones is probably next, I guess, um, in that category. But, you know, there's just like more examples than you'd hope for of, of less ideal play, I guess you could say. And, like, it's not like quarterbacks aren't perfect. Like watch Patrick Mahomes on film. You're not going to get a perfect game from him. You're going to have these misses occasionally too. But when it's a clean pocket balance base, like this throw and the one we'll go over later that, that could have sealed the game. That's when you start to worry a bit. Um, and you know, that's when it just adds up to not being as good of a game. All right. Third series. Now giants defense, once again, holding, I mean, listen, this is the third possession for Atlanta. They go seven yards. They've now punted on three straight possessions, barely moved the ball in their first two, didn't move the ball at all in their third third series. 
And there's still some people out there saying the defense was to blame for this game. <laughs> it's mind-boggling to me if you watch this game on All-22, but I was really impressed with the Giants' defense at this point. Giants get the ball back now, up 3 nothing, and here we go. It's another 7-minute and 38-second drive. All you have to do on these drives is score a touchdown, but that's just not what happens again here. 75, uh, 73 yards, 15 plays, classic Jason Garrett, 15 plays, 7.5-minute drive, but only three points to show at the end of it. And so now it's just 6 nothing. It is. It is. And first, before I get into the entirety of the drive, because it was a long, sustained drive, and of course, you only get three points because it's the New York Giants. When when do you really score touchdowns? But I kind of want to touch on something with Will Hernandez. That second, first, and 10 play, the beginning of the drive, I mean, Will Hernandez, he, he's kind of frustrating to watch, right? The Giants, they run a stretch outside zone play on first down, and Price needs to reach a three technique to the play side, which is the side of Will Hernandez. It's not an easy block, especially for an unathletic center like Billy Price, right? So Hernandez is tasked to chip and climb on the play, and he hardly touches Grady Jarrett, who was aligned as the three technique, who ended up busting through the line because Billy Price couldn't get there, and then ended up tackling Saquon Barkley for a loss. And the play looks horrendous on Billy Price. And I'm not necessarily a fan of Price per se. I don't really think he's all that great right now. He hasn't put the film out there with the New York Giants to suggest that he's great. But can Hernandez help a teammate out, man? Like, help the guy execute the block. He has the time to climb and locate that linebacker. He needs to make sure that he chips that three technique. It's important to the play to allow or to force that chip and then allow Billy Price to get over there to make that block. And these mistakes, man, they seem trivial, but they are the difference between no gain and a big run. And I feel like Hernandez always falls on the former half of that equation. I mean, it just happens. It happens a lot, man. And it, it gets, it, it, like I said before, it's maddening. But on that specific play was one that did end up rubbing me the wrong way. Do you have anything to weigh in before I talk about the rest of the drive? On that specific play, no. I have a few things to talk about on this drive, but you can transition to something else you had. On that specific play, I think you did a good job wrapping that up. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, I mean, it was a solid 15 play, 73 yard drive. Like we said, almost eight minutes off the clock. That's insane to think that they can't punch it in the end zone. But the Giants, I mean, they're just inefficient. They're mistake prone in the red zone. The botched snap and a false start squashed the hopes of putting six on the board there. And I feel like there's always like these little excuses and these little reasons as to why the Giants can't punch it in the end zone. But it seems to happen a lot. On the drive, though, I, I did like the design throwback screen to Kadarius Tony the split back RPO with Tony in motion as the fast three. I really like those types of plays that Garrett ends up calling. I mean, Jones has options on that RPO. I mean, Jones, he can, he can hand the ball off. He can run it himself. He can throw the slant to his left or he can throw the bubble screen to his right. He he can make the best decision based on pre-snap reads and post-snap action. And I do appreciate that. And they also had success on all those, Jason Garrett type of plays on this drive you know curls to the sticks they had success with that they hit on a nice slant flat on this drive too but yet they still couldn't punch it in the red zone they eat all that time off the clock but these self-inflicted mistakes just bite them in the backside again yeah there's no doubt about it and my key takeaways from this drive so we'll go over the Tony play later because that's going to be my uh it's going to be in in a feature and I'm one of our superlatives not going to go over that right now um a couple things to take away first want to say Love the job by Jones on third down to read the corner blitzing, get it out hot to the right spot later in the drive. But the first down play is the one I want to talk about because we talked a little bit earlier about how Jones kind of looked a lot better on the broadcast angle first run through than he looked on this All-22 review. 
it wasn't just the ball placement at times. It's this, this is a problem that keeps happening for him, and it happened on the first down play here. I love the design here by Jason Garrett. It's one of those examples where you can't blame Garrett. You can definitely blame Jones. Design here is to go with this play-action boot and get the pocket move, which is something they should do more often. But it's kind of just another example of how Jones has been really, really late on these bootlegs and when they move the pocket. There was a great example of this last week against the Washington football team where he ran a similar play where he boots out right, and he's super late on setting on, on setting himself up and making the throw. And by the time he sees it, or the time he decides to kind of set his feet and make the throw, he's way late and it's an incompletion. Same thing happens here. If you look at this play on all 22, I'm going to put this up on Twitter later. He needs to plant and fire this ball just as Ingram comes out of his break. Ingram has a lot of separation coming out of his break. If he plants and doesn't go into that full rollout and just, you know, and there's plenty of space, like there's a huge pocket for him right there. Plant, get that ball out, and Ingram has a chance to really turn that upfield because he creates a lot of separation. And you also see when you watch that, that as he continues to roll, he has another chance to plant and hit an even bigger play because Kyle Rudolph's running a little bit of like a flag route type thing towards the corner, and he is kind of behind the linebacker. Like, if Jones throws a pretty nice ball there, it's not even that hard of a ball to throw. Like, it's just kind of just an over-the-top pass. Jones can also hit Rudolph there. So this is just some problem that I've seen with Jones throughout. It happened last week in Washington. happened this week again. He's, he seems to really have trouble processing when they move the pocket for him. Cue the grandpa music on that post route by Kyle Rudolph, man. He looks so slow out there. He did look super slow. separation <laughs> <laughs> just because of the defense. But he did look slow. He looks so slow out there. But I like the play call, man. It's a uh, The Giants are in a double Y set to the field, and they play action a weak side run, and it's 13 personnel. So they do have a tight end on that side, but they have two tight ends to the field. Both tight ends chip and release. Kyle Rudolph gets into his route, if you want to call it that, and then Galladay streaking down the field. And you're right, man. You're right. Uh, Evan Ingram, Daniel Jones needs to throw the football when he's basically just getting past that hash if he wants to complete this ball. Because 32 does do a good job getting to that near hip of Evan Ingram. But by that time, the window closes. Windows, man, they're tight in the NFL. You know this, Dan, that they're tight and you need to execute when you can. I think this was just a classic case of Daniel Jones waiting for more things to happen than actually could based on the route concept and the defensive coverage. He had something. He wanted a little bit more, I think it's safe to say, and nothing ended up coming. And then he forced the ball and it was almost kind of picked off by Eric Harris. But I mean, Eric Harris jumped in and got his hands on it, but it would, it would have been a really tough interception. But you're right, man. It could have been handled better by Daniel Jones for sure. No doubt about it. I think you can really get into that and make that throw earlier. Um, I also think, like you said, like starting to get some serious, serious vibes of Jonathan Stewart part two with this Kyle Rudolph signing by Dave Gettleman. Very, very similar, you know, great locker room guy, has a lot of years, you know, he's a, he's a good guy, we like him, wanted to be a giant, wore the, wore the jersey, put his kids in the jersey when he signed, his wife took a picture, and now it's like, okay, well now we have cap tied to this guy next year, it's not a lot, but we have some dead cap tied to him, and we're kind of stuck with this guy now for a two-year thing, it's not just a one-year deal, it's like... And, like, it's not huge cap, but it's just, like, these types of moves are just so win-now oriented. And, I, and we were on board with that, but, like, win-now with the right guys. Don't try to win-now with Kyle Rudolphs of the world that no one's rushing to sign. It's coming off Liz Frank's surgery, a, sur- a, a surgery that typically takes a full year to recover from. And once you find out about that, 
I don't know how accurate it is that nobody wanted to sign him. I think he had a lot of offers, to be honest. Like, I was fine with the signing. It just doesn't seem no, like... I, I misspoke. Anything. Not that he didn't have a lot of... But once he had the list, Frank, I'm sure that would have been reevaluated yeah. by all of those teams besides the Giants who wanted to honor the deal. It's, just, yeah. and they, it's like you have Caden Smith on the roster. You don't need to force this signing. You have Caden Smith on your roster. Caden Smith looks better than him. Like you said, that was a really, really slow route that he ran there. Yeah, there's no way that, there's no way in the world Caden Smith doesn't run that route better. No, I, I can't imagine Caden Smith can be any slower than that. And Caden Smith, <laughs> he's not known for being an athletic tight end, but he does everything well. Like Caden Smith isn't really bad at anything. He just isn't great at anything either. He's developed well as a blocker, and I think he is a soft-handed, low-floor type of receipt or high-floor, low-ceiling type of receiving option. But that's kind of what you want from your tight end. You don't need somebody like an Evan Ingram who can run a 4-4. You need somebody who can catch the damn football and doesn't cause turnovers. Right. Fair enough. Last thing I want to get your take on from this drive, I don't really get the play call on the first down to to follow up that really nice Barkley run with an outside zone stretch with Rashad Penny. It didn't go anywhere. It put them behind the sticks. I just feel like when you're running outside zone with Rashad, with Rashad Penny, it's destined to fail when you have Nate Solder on one on that side and you have Will Hernandez and then you have Billy Price, guys who aren't playing well. And you have the tight ends who aren't really blocking well. And you have Rashad Penny, who's not really a good running back. He's a fullback converted to running back. It's just so many factors there are not working in your favor. In addition to like a second part question, it's a two-part question. One, do you think that – would you agree or disagree with that too – why did they run so much to the right side? Like, run behind Andrew Thomas. Run behind Andrew Thomas. Nate Solder is terrible out there. I mean, we'll get to that later because I do want to talk to you a little bit about that too, and I just threw a lot at you. But start with the play first. I'm not a huge fan of running outside zone or split zone with Rashad Penny. I think this was a case of the Giants getting cute. Saquon Barkley just had a long run, so you want to spell him, and you decided not to dress Devontae Booker, so you're like, you know what? Elijah Penny has shown a lot. He works his ass off. He does a lot in practice. We'll give him this play. Elijah Penny should only get carries if he's punching it directly up the middle, if he's attacking the A-gaps. It could be from a fullback. It could be from a halfback position. But you shouldn't be stretching him and having him run laterally and then make a decisive cut read blocks and then explode vertically it's not necessarily one cut run and i get it he used to be a halfback that's all well and good but that's not why he's here on this roster and i think this was the giants just kind of getting cute with the fact that they sat Devonte booker they have elijah penny and they thought maybe they could catch the defense off guard because the giants won't run the football with elijah penny it'll probably be another play action pass something the giants did a lot earlier in the game but they actually did end up running the ball with Elijah Penny. Nate Solder struggles with the block. Billy Price struggles with the block. And it's easily contained by Atlanta. No doubt about it. That's all I have for this drive. We can wrap that up with another bomb down in the red zone, followed by the fuel goal. Giants hold again then. Atlanta actually moves the ball a tiny bit there on that next drive, but they punt. Giants hold again. And then it's a three and out for the Giants on this next series, the fourth series of the game. Anything you saw there that was interesting? DJ almost threw an interception <laughs> near the end zone. I mean, that, that's a risky throw on that third and 10 after the, uh, I believe it was a penalty. DJ, uh, and then that three-by-one set that they were in, he tried squeezing the ball, but the cover two cornerback, because it seemed like the, the Falcons, if I'm not mistaken, were in a too high cover two defense. The cover two cornerback baits that and wants him to throw the ball to the number two receiver, gets his eyes on Daniel Jones and almost baits him into an interception. That, that's a bad decision by Daniel Jones right there. And the cornerback was baiting it the whole time. You could see once 
the receiver releases off the line of scrimmage. He gets his eyes on Daniel Jones, who's on the far hash, and then he sits and he allows the receiver to kind of go into the honey hole and passes him off to a safety where there's plenty of room. But Daniel Jones is in the end zone at this point. There's bodies all around him. He has to fire the football. So he may prematurely fire this football. And the the cornerback literally almost intercepted this pass. This could have been a disaster. Yeah, that's just an example. I mean, here's the deal with that pass. I went over that a bunch, looked at it a ton, and tried to figure out what exactly happened there. And I feel like as I looked back on that, it wasn't a great design from Garrett, first of all. But at the same time, Jones has got to find a different place to go with that football because he's never that pass is never getting completed. And to me, the key the, the key thing here, so they're backed up in their own end zone here. The idea of this, and this goes back to the Jason Garrett stuff, and I want to see what your take is. The idea of this is this is a I'm trying to figure out the right words for this, a high floor, let's say, low but lower ceiling type of idea, right? You're trying to just complete a pass, create some space for the punt. But when you have the reputation the Giants have for a team that tries to throw to the sticks, you have a quarterback who has tended to, you know, has tended to make a lot of these underneath throws when defenses are sitting on them, no matter how many guys are there. There's what, two, three Falcons there around that? There's two. And you yeah. do all that. What'd you say? I'm sorry. There's two. There's two Falcons right around the throw. It actually becomes a riskier decision and it becomes a riskier play call. That rather than like something like a four verts or something that's attacking down the field or some, something that you know is meant to attack the outside 15 yards down the field. It becomes a riskier throw when defenses know it's coming. And that's exactly what happens here. Like This could have easily been picked sixth. This could have easily been – there's a lot of bad things that could have came from this play, and that's kind of something that we saw last year. We saw it again here. It's not something Garrett's learning from because he's still calling these plays. And Daniel Jones obviously has a tendency to still make these kinds of you know, poor decisions. And this one could have really cost the Giants. It didn't, but this could have easily been a play that cost the Giants here. It's such a good play design on the defense by Dean Pease though, because you have that, you have the tight end in you. It's a three by one set. The tight end kind of helps with the protection, which is all well and good. So you have the two receivers to the field side and the Falcons are in that cover two defense, too high zone. And they allow Kadarius Tony to run this little out, this little, this little just little hitch route to the outside and they align his apex defender, the defensive back in zone off the inside hip of Kadarius Tony showing that, Hey, you have leverage outside Daniel Jones, throw this football, but that cover two cornerback is aware of that. This is just an easy bait type of situation. And the cornerback plays a well passes that receiver off. Like I said before, and just moves right to Kadarius Tony reading the eyes of Daniel Jones. Very, very lucky. This wasn't a pick six. Very lucky. This wasn't a pick six. All right. We move forward now. That drive obviously bogs down. We move to the next one where the Giants get the ball back after the Falcons touchdown. Falcons now finally take the lead in this game, 7-6. And here it is, your boy, Nick, Evan Ingram. Why is he my boy? <laughs> I feel like you rightfully so giving him a hard time on this podcast occasionally. But, you know, here he is fumbling in a really bad spot for the Giants after after the Falcons take the momentum back with the 10-6, uh, I'm sorry, with the 7-6 lead. Absolutely. And if it wasn't for Aziz Ojolari stripping Matt Ryan, which is a very, very weird optic to think about, but if it wasn't for that strip sack of Matt Ryan, <laughs> then it, the score could have been maybe even a little bit different. But hey, Jason Garrett, he's running his offense. He runs a little stick route to Evan Ingram at the sticks. He catches the football, tries to get upfield vertically, and He's protecting the ball and everything. It just gets stripped out. And I just feel like at this point, Evan Ingram is just mistakes gravitate towards him. It's like this kid, he just can't get out of his own way at this point. 
And it's got to suck for him, man, because he's getting booed out of the stadium. I don't advocate for that. That's terrible, you know? But he he literally is prone to so many mistakes. And every time a mistake happens, it's just magnified. And I guess you could say rightfully so, because so many mistakes have happened. And all of them kind of are his fault. <laughs> a lot of fumbles, a lot of tip passes up in the air, right. drop passes that are intercepted, running bad routes. Those are all Evan Ingram. Like we said time and time again on this podcast, Dan, Evan Ingram is a great athlete who plays football. And I hate to say that it's disrespectful, but that at this point of his career, that's who he is. Yeah, that's fair. And they're not finding any ways to use him. I saw a play today that I retweeted out. It was Sean McVay running mesh from a four by one set, man. Like you got Tony, you got Ingram, especially Ingram. They should be running some of these plays. Like just, just steal it, just steal it, put it into the playbook, steal it. Like find ways to maximize Ingram. They just don't maximize him. I agree with you. He's an athlete. He's not a football player. I'm done with Ingram. I'm fine with it. Let's move on. I'll trade him. I'll take a fourth. I'll take a fifth. I don't care. It's not going to work out here with Jason Garrett. But man, there's better ways to utilize him. Shermer did it, man. Shermer found ways. There was a stretch where he had three really good games for an injury with Pat Shermer in 2019, including that Tampa game where they ran him on that route, on a little bit of a mesh route, over the middle across. There might have just been a cross or a drag, regardless. It was a drag. Regardless, though, he catches it and houses it with that second gear. He showed that second gear off the entire season before when he was healthy against Washington. Find ways to get him into plays and spots where he can show off that second gear. Don't find ways to like have him run these types of plays where it's a stop route. He catches it. He turns. He's not in control. He doesn't have the ball secure, and it gets batted right out because everybody knows now to go for the ball with Ingram. Like You just have to be better as coaching. You have to be better as a coaching staff, and that's not only on Garrett. That's on Judge, too. A head coach can step in and say, look, I have a better way to utilize this player. I have a better way to maximize this talent, this player's talent. Here's what we should do. Here's what we got to start doing. And this, and it has to start now. That's on the head coach as well to make those kinds of changes. And we just simply haven't seen those kinds of changes at all. You're absolutely right, man. All right, let's move on. It's the end of the half. 7-6, the Giants lucky to get out of this bad boy 7-6. Course, I mean, this could have been way worse, like you said, if they didn't have that huge play by Aziz. And ultimately, that play by Aziz makes a big difference in that game. Giants get the ball first at the uh, at the start of the second half. They go seven plays, twenty nine yards, and they're forced to punt. What was your key takeaway from this drive? More mistakes that stop drives, Dan. That's what the key takeaway is. That second and ten throw to Colin Johnson was. Almost completed, but Johnson couldn't corral it. But Jones almost died on that play, too. I mean, no one picked up the blitzing linebacker off the edge. Solder and Caden Smith weren't on the same page. More miscommunications with this protection. It's getting ridiculous at this point. And that forced Jones to roll out and not complete the pass, putting the Giants into third and long. I mean, what are you going to do, man? These mistakes. All it takes is one egregious mistake, like I said, man. One egregious mistake a drive to get the team off schedule, and it ruins that entire drive. And it happened several times this season so far through three games. And then uh, also, you check out that third down call. How sticky was that man coverage by Atlanta? It's like they know what's coming yeah. at the time. It's ridiculous. That's exactly what I said. I said awful route combos by Garrett. Jones gets absolutely nothing here. Solder gets beat a little around the edge, and he's forced to step up, and there's nothing. Like you said, the coverage is stuck to these receivers. They know exactly where what the Giants want to do conceptually on a down like this. They know exactly where. I mean, the key takeaways for me are exactly what you just said. You hit them both. The pass protection on that second down and then that third down coverage is knowing exactly where it is. I thought also on that first down RPO, it looked like Barkley, if he had, if he had instead of keeping it and making the pass to Ingram, if he had let Barkley take it, there might have been something on that sweep. 
there was a hat on hat with no second level guys really. And it's Saquon Barkley. I don't know if you felt that. What did you think about that? Yeah, Dan, I would have rather him hand that football off. I understand it's tempting to throw the football in that scenario when you, when you see the linebacker kind of bite down on the run and move towards the play side of the run, you want to throw into that window. But if you look at the coverage, the safety is down close kind of by where the NFL sign is, where the emblem is, because it's towards the middle of the field. He's not deep. So he could easily kind of plant and drive downhill and break up that pass. And Daniel Jones has to kind of, because 54 or 5'4 does a good job kind of getting back into position. So Jones kind of has to put the ball inside. And he's also getting nailed on the play because the protection breaks down. Because Ben Bredesen does a horrible job here. And that just forces a bad play. But, but like you said, if he did hand the football off to Saquon Barkley, he would have some space there. And I mean, it's a boundary side run, which the Giants aren't afraid to do. You hand the football off and it looked like the linebacker shot that B gap, right. I believe it is. And then the, uh, the pulling backside guard ends up picking them up. If Solder holds that block, then I would say, yeah, Saquon Barkley probably has like a 10 yard game before that cornerback or safety kind of end up yeah. bringing him down. Could have been even more to be honest. So yeah, I would agree with, with that. Barkley, yeah. yeah. Okay. So maybe that's a misplay. Maybe I'll go over that one on Twitter. I will say this with regards to that. The if Solder holds that block is a big if. I'm at the point now watching him in the game. He's awful in pass protection. Doesn't offer anything in the run game. He's actually been this game was really subpar in my opinion in the run game. I have no reason at this point that Matt Parrott shouldn't be getting all of these snaps. I can't fathom that Matt Parrott could be much worse than this. Even if he's a little bit worse in pass pro, I can't imagine he's going to offer so much more in the run game. They got to get paired on the field. They have to get Solder off the field. Um, it's just it's getting to that point. A couple other takeaways I have here, Nick. Love the on the third down play. This was another. If people want to see an example of what we were talking about earlier with Jones doing a better job, the field of pressure awareness on that third down play before the Ingram RPO miss, the the one that was like a great circus catch by Colin Johnson. Fowler beat Solder pretty solidly on the edge, and I thought Jones did a great job to step up into the pocket instead of bailing to his right. That was a big issue for him last season. He would bail to his right a lot, and he would get lateral, and he would have no base to throw from. Stepped in, felt it early, and then delivered that ball to Colin Johnson. Thought he did a great job there. Did an excellent job there. I love that play by Daniel Jones, and I have that down in my notes as well because you're right. Fowler, man, I mean, he's got some bursts. He's got some speed. He dips that inside shoulder, and he rips right through the – upfield arm of Nate Solder and Jones keeps his eyes downfield. He's looking at the coverage. He hits that back foot and then he kicks up into the pocket. And the thing I love most too, man, is it's so smooth looking. He does it effortlessly. And then he squares his shoulders, gets his hips on target and then fires a beautiful pass to Johnson who ends up catching it. But yeah, you're right. It's a little bit of a circus catch. He almost ended up dropping it, but he secured it. And you're right though. I really like the pocket manipulation there by Daniel Jones. Yeah, no doubt about it. One other thing I wanted to go over from this drive the second down run just before that third down throw. So I feel like this is a good example of just kind of how they're not getting enough out of a player like Will Hernandez here, especially for somebody they took on the, you know, with the 34th overall pick in the 2018 draft. He's just never getting there. Like this play could be, it's dead, but it could be a good play for the Giants if he gets to the second level there to take out the linebacker 54 and he just doesn't do it. And he just seems to never make those big plays for the Giants. And it's kind of a, a reason in my mind, at least why the running game has been so futile in 2021. It's one reason for sure. And this is just a nice duo run, physical double teams at the point of attack, driving vertical, everything you want to see. But I believe Hernandez kind of holds on to that three technique just a little bit too long before he ends up climbing to the second level. I mean, he does a great job on that double team, on that deuce block with Nate Solder. 
But you're right. I mean, 54 presents himself as sitting in the hole for uh, for what seems like almost a full second before Hernandez ends up kind of coming off. And the three technique is annihilated by this point. He's done. But uh, 54 just fills the hole and makes the tackle. And Bredesen ends up, I think, getting uh, tripped over. I think his feet got tangled up, though. It looks bad. It looks like he gets annihilated on the play by, by the linebacker. But I believe he just kind of gets his feet tangled with the uh, defensive lineman and gets put down. And then it just kind of clogs up the hole. Yeah, no doubt about it. And one final thing I want to go over before we move on to the next drive. Remember the first drive in the half? There was a play that I wanted to get your take on. started with a swing pass out to Barkley. And man, does he have space when he catches that swing pass. He ends up taking it for a negative gain on the play. But if you look back at this play, Barkley has a ton of space on this one to really do something with it. And ultimately what ends up happening is he doesn't cut it back inside like I think he should have and ends up going for that negative gain. Did you kind of feel the same way that that was a bit of a wasted opportunity? Yeah, Dan, I think you're onto something there. I mean, there's a ton of space. There's more than 10 yards of separation between Barkley and his covering defender. The Giants run uh, a couple vertical type concepts that end up breaking inward a little bit down the field. But I felt like the entire game, the Falcons were playing soft zone type of coverage, which allowed the Giants to kind of pick apart the flats and all these short little routes, which they did to an adequate level, I would say, throughout the game. But Barkley catches this ball in stride. It's a good pass from from Daniel Jones. And at the time he catches it, there's still 10 yards of separation between him and his covering defender. And he goes like he's going to go inside, but he just kind of gets hesitant isn't decisive and then ends up going outside and literally only picks up a couple yards. But I think if he kind of cut back inside, he would have had another defender, another pursuit defender to miss, but he probably would have maximized his gains there. All right. So we move forward next drive, another struggle for the giants. They went six plays, 17 yards and they had to punt. I thought Brightwell missed one on this series. I thought Brightwell did a poor job and a really nice block to play for Brightwell. He thought he took a bad read on that second down play left yards on the field. Once again, that was the drive where Ben Bredesen didn't know who to protect. And this was kind of the play where I felt like the Giants had a chance to really seal this win. Really great release by Colin Johnson down the right side vertically. It's a third and three. This is the one, you know, this is also the play that obviously led to the big controversial call by Joe Judge to punt the ball here on fourth and three from the 30, <laughs> opponent's 39-yard line, which he's defended this week, which is embarrassing to me. My personal standpoint, I think it's a, there's no defense for it, and it's a really bad way to coach, and I did not agree with anything he said about it. But the ball here by Jones. Johnson gets a really good release. Jones has time here. Like, this is not a rush throw. And yet, Jones misses this throw pretty bad from a ball placement standpoint. Maybe he was a little rushed in his mind because he was looking at Bredesen. I think that's possible that that's the case here. But I think this was a really big missed opportunity for Jones. It's a huge missed opportunity and a beautiful route by Colin Johnson, man. He really sells that slant and a little slow go type of route, plants the inside foot and explodes vertical. And if you look, man, he has a lot of room. He's not getting rode off the red line. If you, if you want to say that, which the red line is a theoretical line on the field between the sidelines and the numbers. Typically receivers don't want to get too tight to the sidelines because you want to allow the quarterback to kind of drop it over the top of your outside shoulder. And then you can easily make the catch and the defender has no play on the football. Like we saw with the CJ board play a little bit earlier, but this is a bad ball from Daniel Jones right here. I mean, he, he just puts it out of bounds. There was space. If you look at the end zone angle, Colin Johnson runs a really fantastic route here. He has plenty of space and Daniel Jones just puts it out of bounds. You can't, you can't do that. You're not going to win football games. By doing that, you're not. And Ben Bredesen just trips over his own feet, ends up tackling. I think it was Grady Jarrett on this play, which is an absolute disaster. But like a lot of these drives, man, 
one or two mistakes prevent the Giants from capitalizing and maximizing their games or their gains and the opportunities that they actually have on the football field. This was a great opportunity. This was a third and short. You had the coverage that you wanted. Colin Johnson runs a great route. He has the leverage on the cornerback. He has the space. All you got to do is put it out there and protect and both those things don't necessarily happen the way the Giants hope. And then the Giants end up freaking punting the football on a fourth and what, three opportunity, fourth and four opportunity at the Atlanta 39-yard line, man. And you call that play on third down, you know, the two go routes, you like the coverage, I get it, but two go routes and then an in route, and then you don't go for it on fourth down. I feel like you call that play on third down, you take that shot because you know you're going to go for it on fourth down. And that is not what ended up happening, Dan. Yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly it. This whole possession to me ends up being the turning point in the game. Yes, I know people said, what do you mean? They got the ball back and they went on the touchdown drive after that. Well, nothing. The punt did nothing toward that because Atlanta then moved the ball multiple first downs up to the exact spot where they would have stopped stopped them at. If they stopped the Giants, they probably wouldn't have. It's three yards to go. Everyone's like, you don't trust this offense. Why not? The offense is moving the ball all game. Just because they weren't scoring points and cashing in on red zone trips doesn't mean they weren't going to convert three yards against a really bad defense. Let's keep in mind how bad this Falcons defense was. No A.J. Terrell. Yeah, no A.J. Terrell in this game, who was there for the first two weeks when they allowed 80 points. 80 points through two games. You have to trust your offense to convert on 4-3. And if you don't, throw out the season. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to look forward to. If you don't trust your offense right there to score there in that spot, I don't know what you're playing for. I really don't quite know what you're playing for, and I don't really understand the goal. I don't understand the goal. Um, trying to grind out wins in 2021 gives you zero chance to win a Super Bowl. Grinding out wins is not how you win anything these days. Um, and so that was frustrating, but, there, but you know it is what it is from that standpoint. Let's move on to the next drive here. Was there any key takeaways from the 10-play, 71-yard touchdown drive after, uh, after the Giants got the ball back? This one gave the Giants a 14-7 lead, followed by a really excellent two-point conversion by Daniel Jones. You're right. Excellent two-point conversion. Talk about the cojones on Daniel Jones, man. He literally ran over a Grady Jarrett, and that was an excellent play call by Jason Garrett. Everyone was paying attention to that reduced bunch set, and then he goes the other way on a quarterback power. Love to see that type of play call in that situation. Love to see the execution from Daniel Jones. And I also liked how the Giants used the screen game several times on this drive against Atlanta, who was playing a lot of soft coverage like we talked about before. So, I mean, I think that those were probably my key takeaways. I think there was also a play somewhere in here where they used the reduced bunch again to manufacture space underneath. They did that on the two-point conversion, only it wasn't for a throw. But I think on a third and five, Colin Johnson kind of ran a quick spot route, caught the, uh, caught the pass to get a first down, even though I don't really believe it was a first down. I don't know how they gave the Giants that first down, if you know what play yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> It did not seem like he got the full five yards, but they gave it to the Giants, and I don't feel like that happens all that often, so I'll take it any day of the week. And then the Galladay just – that's one thing about Kenny Galladay no one's talking about. This guy has a very good knack for drawing defensive pass interferences, <laughs> and yeah. he did that on this drive too, which is, uh, which is all well and good. And the whole don't trust your offense thing, it loses me here when your offense goes right down and scores a touchdown and regardless moves the ball, which they were doing all game. Like, you could trust the offense in this matchup. <laughs> you could trust the offense on a fourth and three from 39. Worst case scenario, you lose the ball. Oh, God, 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 God forbid you lose the field position. That The meaningless field position. I think actually kudos to Justin Pennick from Talking Giants, who I think put out there today 
a stat that said, you know, Joe Judge is like, we wanted to win the field position game. We, we punted because we wanted to win the field position game. It was really important to us. Well, the Giants were the third worst team from a field position standpoint in week three. So all that effort you put into winning the field position, you took that punt on fourth and three. And what did it get you? Third worst in the NFL from a field position standpoint. And sometimes, man, I just feel like Joe Judge's special teams background works against him hard as a head coach. Because I feel like with that special teams background, he really is geared toward the idea of trying to win field position a lot of the time. Like last year, there were excuses made. He didn't trust the offense, didn't trust the offense line. No, I don't think it's that. I think he just simply wants to win field position. It's a very important thing to him, even though in today's NFL, it really doesn't get you much of anywhere. Sometimes it would, I would say, but not in this situation, not in this context. I mean, you got to feel out every, every situation. And the thing about Joe Judge that's been frustrating is it's the same decision basically every time. The only time we've seen him be a little bit more aggressive was that Cleveland game when Colt McCoy was starting. There was no yeah. Daniel Jones and there was no James Bradbury. Kind of a we have nothing to lose type of situation. I definitely yeah. want to see him. I mean, we, we see it on Sunday, Dan. How many of these NFL coaches make these bold decisions, these Brandon Staley's of the world, the Vic right. Fangio against the Giants, and it ends up paying off for them? If it doesn't, guess what? Then your defense can come out there and then they can execute their assignments. And you usually typically do it in a situation where, where it's not going to absolutely kill you. It's on the opponent's side of the field or on Atlanta's 39, something like that. You know what I'm saying? When Joe Judge makes these kind of decisions, when he makes that decision, the message it sends to the team is we're playing not to lose. That's what it's sending. And that's the, uh, I'd say that's the same thing you've been saying for what? Since last year. And it's unfortunate at this point, but it's the reality of the Giants. I want to see a little bit more aggressiveness from this coach. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Something that... We've harped on a bunch. I um, think it played a big factor in this game specifically. But the Giants did go on that touchdown drive there, and that was it, man. I mean, their la- their next possession after the Falcons drove down and scored, that was just a disaster of possession. It ended in – it was seven plays, 25 yards, ended in a punt just before the two-minute warning. Giants never saw the bar get ball again. The key play was that second down sack that Solder allowed. Almost turns into a forced fumble. Jones got the ball back. But there were other plays that I didn't like on this drive. I didn't like the pitch to Barkley on second and one. You know, here's the thing with that pitch to Barkley on second and one. The whole game, the right side of your offensive line is not blocking well. The whole game, the whole game, you have plays where Saquon Barkley is dancing in space. When he caught the ball in space on one of those, on the first play of the half, on the uh, couple of those runs in the first half, when he got the ball to the outside in space, a little bit of dancing, a little bit of indecisiveness. So you want to play, take a player who's been indecisive all game, Run him to the right side where you haven't blocked well all game on second and one. Maybe, maybe, you probably, you think you should get the first down, right? You should get the first down. Maybe get the first down. Why the fucking hell is that your objective there on second and one from the 44-yard line in a 14-14 game with two minutes left? If your objective instead is let's take advantage of the second one, knowing we have a third and one, and take a shot down the field, let's design a play-action shot down the field, you may hit a chunk play. You may hit a touchdown to win the game. Because the Falcons, I mean, they might have drove set, uh, you know, in two minutes for a touchdown, but it would have been harder. You might hit a chunk play to the point where you can then milk, milk the clock and get into field goal range and then end the game on a field goal. Your objective on the second one and 44, if, if you're coaching the game the right way, is to hit a chunk play and is to score points. It's 14-14. You do not need to be focused on grinding out first downs right now. You need to be focused on scoring points points in my opinion and that's why this play bothered me so much they ended up getting the third down anyway with the pass interference call but 
it ended up turning into, well, you got your little first down, which you would have got with your pitch play, your mini first down that went nowhere, but then you had to punt three plays later, and Atlanta won the game. And so ultimately it didn't work. No, because I mean, they ended up losing the football game. But I would have I would have been fine with running the football in this situation, but not the pitch, man. Not the pitch, not the double pullers, the power gap. It just you didn't well, really why not take that. a shot? Why not take a shot? Isn't that the perfect time to take a shot? Don't you think that? I mean, a lot of defenses typically expect shots on second and one. It's it's a typical offensive coordinators, ladies and gentlemen, like to take shots in those situations. Jason Garrett isn't necessarily a typical offensive coordinator. I mean, I'm fine with taking a shot in that situation as well, but I'm also fine with running the football. Just make it a run that isn't going to stretch Saquon Barkley horizontally and kind of give him the opportunity to be indecisive and get tackled behind the line of scrimmage. I hear you. I think we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. For me, Nick, especially when your tendency is that of Jason Garrett to run the ball in that spot, to try to create a low percentage play call in that spot, I think you're just so so much better off just trying to fire fire a big shot there. And then you saw it all game. Like Those play-action first-down shots they did take, they were open most of the time. Atlanta doesn't have the coverage for this type of thing. So... I'm not disagreeing uh, with you. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, no, I'm, not disagreeing. I'm just saying like, a run up the middle is a, is a, it's a better approach than, than stretching it outside. And you ran no, the ball pretty effectively earlier in the drive uh, with Saquon on a on a play that I would have I wouldn't mind seeing honestly on on in that situation. It seemed like they were able to move the bodies at least at this point of the game, at least on that one play earlier in this drive. But I have no problem with taking a shot either. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, again, I just think in that spot, it's it's to me, it's a really good opportunity to take a shot. So, but dude, I I observed this in this game too, man, and it's starting to. Just piss me off, man. How many tip passes did the Falcons have in this game, man? It's nuts, dude. It did seem like they did tip a ton of passes in this game. It was like four or five tip passes. And I swear, watching the defensive all 22, I see Leonard Williams and I see Dexter Lawrence. I see him jump up in the air. And how many times do you see them just miss the football? Like this game really is a game of centimeters and a game of inches because the the Giants just, the Giants are just missing these footballs on a lot of different occasions. And literally one of these plays, one of these tip passes can alter a loss to a win. And they're just not getting their hands on the football. And I felt like the Falcons did an excellent job knocking passes down on Daniel Jones. And that could be a quarterback stat as well. Maybe Daniel Jones is telegraphing a little bit too much. It could be an offensive line stat. And like I said, a lot of this stuff is collective. Like Carter, for instance, Lorenzo Carter, just after this drive, when the field goal drive that we're going to talk about for uh, on the next podcast where our Cordero Patterson took the screen for like 28 yards. Lorenzo Carter was like a centimeter away from hitting that ball down. Yeah. If that happens, who knows what ends up happening? If Evan Ingram's pass in, back in the first half wasn't tipped by Dante Fowler, that's probably a touchdown and that's a four point swing right there for the Giants. Who knows what the end of the game is? It just feels like, like, like when it rains, it pours and the Giants are right there. They're in the position to make the play, but they just don't make the play. And that's the issue. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's been the issue all year, and it's been the issue for a while. It seems like, unfortunately, but again, that was it for that was it for the offense. Let's get into let's wrap this thing up with a little bit of superlatives. Let's do it, man. So, Dan, who is your all twenty-two coaches film unheralded player of the week? Okay, all twenty-two coaches film unheralded player of the week for me. I'm not going to go with the obvious one. The obvious one I'm going to let you hit, even though you probably would agree that they're both pretty obvious. But I'm going to go with Kadarius Tony here for me. Why? Obviously only had those two catches. Not something, you know, 
to write home about, maybe, but I thought on both plays he showed a little bit of who he can be, why he was drafted, where he was drafted, and what the ceiling is. On the first play, we caught the, uh, the, the throwback screen. You look at the move on all 22 that he puts on number 22, the Atlanta Falcons defensive back, he shakes him immediately. That guy is donezo with that first move. And then after he makes that first move to create the initial space, you watch him out there. It's like, and this is what I remind was reminded of when I watched him at Florida. It's like he's gliding out there. It almost looks like he's gliding on the field. The way he kind of just runs. I don't even know. It's, it's an interesting style of how he moves. I'll just call it moves with the ball in his hands. It's like a glide out there. And you could yeah. see it like he gets vertical fast. He's taking, he maximizes the yards. He's not hesitating. And he just creates yards there that I think weren't really there. Like it was a good play call to throw back, but they kind of sniffed it out. Like 22 was there to make the play. And then there wasn't all that much blocking in front of him after that, but he found a way, he just glid to his spot. And then the other, is it glided or glid? It can't be glid. Glid can't be a word. It has to be spot. <laughs> and then on the third down play, that wasn't a great ball by Jones. It was behind Tony, so he had to adjust. He caught it. And then he's, like most receivers, when they have to catch up all behind them and all their momentum is kind of stopped, the defensive back gets them, forward progress stop, no first down. He found a way to shift his entire body to the, like flip his hips, shift his body so he's, so he's positioned left. And then once he already flipped his hips, which was hard enough, he was able to restart his momentum and create more yards to get that first down. And that, again, was just those two plays. Obviously, he wasn't used much. He, he played 60% of the snaps, wasn't targeted really besides that. Um, I think one other play he was targeted on. But those two plays, man, unheralded. I saw glimpses of what he can be, and I can't wait to see more. I can't wait to see more either. I think you nailed it right there, Dan. And he, he has a different juice to him, man. He really does have a different rhythm to him. And I think the whole uh, he glides. I'm, I'll go with glides instead of glid or yeah. glide. But the way he glides – on the turf, it's I, I totally understand what you're saying. It does look very, very smooth. I'm excited about his future. I just don't know how Jason Garrett's going to implement him. I mean, this week in practice with no Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, it's the uh, it's the week for Kadarius Tony. There's going to be design plays for him. He should receive a lot more snaps than he's received, and he got a solid amount of snaps last game. So we'll see. But I'm going to go with another wide receiver for that unheralded player of the week. With his offense, and that's Colin Johnson, somebody the oh yeah giant the Giants picked up from the Jacksonville Jags. We'll just go with the Jags and not the Jaguars. But Colin Johnson, oh, you actually said Jaguars there. I don't think you said wires. Oh, I said that correctly. See, I don't even know what the correct pronunciation is. It's just one of those words that uh, just doesn't jive with Nick Filato, third <laughs> person over here. Now, but uh, I really liked what I saw from Colin Johnson, even on the All Twenty Two as well. I thought his releases were smooth, and I said this. We talked about it on the last podcast. He's flexible, man. He has bend. He can move. He can sink his hips. He can decelerate quickly. I think all of those things are very, very important to to run routes at the NFL level. And then you combine that with a six foot five, like two hundred and twenty one pound frame. You have a unique athlete out there, and this isn't somebody you're relying on or have to rely on, but you can plug him in if you want to give him an opportunity. And he proved himself, I would say, pretty well in this opportunity that he was given against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, you nailed it, man. We talked about it a little bit on the Reaction Podcast, but could be a sleeper. Could be a little gem. All right, give me the throw of the week on all 22. I'm sure we probably have the same one. The deep ball to the CJ board was a was a brilliant throw. I mean, we went. I went over a little bit earlier how uh, the receiver has to hold that red line and allow quarterbacks to kind of put that teardrop Russell Wilson over the outside shoulder. Daniel Jones did a great job doing that on that specific play. And uh, I, I loved just uh, the aggressiveness, the the attack that Daniel Jones kind of 
went after, identified pre-snap, what he wanted to do, diagnosed it post-snap, held the safety, and then went to his read. And Daniel Jones, I mean, he, he made progress doing that last year, and I feel like he's still doing really well holding that center field safety and middle field closed defenses in place with his eyes before unleashing that ball. And the ball that he threw on that play was good. The one to Colin Johnson, not so much, but typically he's better than not in those situations. So I'm going to go there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Unfortunately, I would say this. I don't know if there are any other really great balls from Jones in this game. Part of that was the game plan's fault. Part of that is just with the product of playing in Jason Garrett's offense. But that was a great ball, and I didn't really see too many others that were really fantastic balls that he threw. Uh, not to say he threw some really bad balls, but I think the bad balls probably outweighed the, that one good ball. And then he had a bunch of like you know pretty, not easy throws, but nothing too spectacular. He had one nice field side rip, I think, to Galladay on a comeback that was okay. Um, wasn't too great. was okay. So, I, I, you know, again, watching the L22 wasn't as impressive as I thought I would be with Jones. But not that he had a bad game. Just wasn't anything that spectacular as I might have, as it kind of seemed in game. I don't know if it even seemed spectacular. It just seemed like they were moving the ball at will all game. 14 points to show for it just seems so weird. It seems so weird, man. It really does. But I... If we're not, if we're going to talk about other Daniel Jones traits, I felt like he did a good job, like we said earlier, maneuvering the pocket, all those things. But yeah. there were also plays where he identified the blitz post snap, and I don't think it was really in the count pre snap because there were protection issues, and he would have, you know, linebackers or edges stumbling right on him, and he quickly would find the receiver and just get rid of the football. There was one pass; it was a vertical concept where Evan Ingram would have been op- would have been open because the defense. Looked like a middle-of-the-field closed pre-snap. It transitioned to a too-high look, which means middle-of-the-field open. And Evan Ingram recognized that, bent his vertical route inward to kind of take advantage in between the hash marks. But Daniel Jones had no time, and he quickly got to Saquon Barkley and dumped the football off before getting annihilated and picked up, like, I think maybe five or six yards. But little plays like that are important, and they showed the quarterback's ability to process what he sees pre- to post-snap. And it also shows the quarterback's ability to adjust to uh, what's going on around him, just an overall awareness issue. I mean, how many times do we see rookie quarterbacks kind of take that snap and just get obliterated? We haven't seen Jones. That happened to Jones in a little bit now. Hopefully it doesn't happen against the Saints. There's a possibility it could, but (laughs) that's one thing I kind of wanted to give Jones credit for in this game. He, He definitely seems to have a much better grasp of what's going on. I think that's an excellent point, Nick. I think not only did we talk about him doing a better job escaping pressure, but more importantly, he seems to be improving from that standpoint. Now, there's still going to be plays like we saw the first two weeks where he's locking onto that first read, but definitely did a better job in this game specifically of locating those blitzers and getting the ball out hot in a lot of situations where it really made a big difference and ended up you know, helping the Giants uh, move the football. So totally agree with you on that one. All right, let's get to the best route run from the film that you saw from any receiver. Yeah, so the best route run was actually an incompletion. It was that third and five play. It was a route by Sterling Shepard, and I really liked the play call. I broke it down a little bit earlier if you guys want to listen to it. It was the one where Sterling Shepard motioned to a sack on Kadarius Toney, and he stems very hard inside, and that gets the cornerback to angle his hips inward, and then he explodes vertically before planting that inside foot outside and exploding back outward for a flat route. If you watch just how hard Sterling Shepard plants his foot, it looks painful, to be honest. And he's wide open. Daniel Jones just doesn't put it on him. But that that's where I would go with the best route. Yeah, for me, I love that route. So, again, some of these you'll pick first, and I'll, or I'll pick first, and we might have the same one. But I think there's another one worth talking about. It was that third down and three from the 39 just before the 
infamous Judd fourth and three punt when Colin Johnson just gets a really good release off the line of scrimmage. And he's not necessarily known as a vertical threat or some kind of burner, but he has a little bit of that element to his game. And he did that and he showed that at Texas. And I really feel like he surprised a lot of people on this route when he got that kind of separation. I mean, if you look back at this play in all 22, it was a big missed opportunity for the Giants and a big missed opportunity for Daniel Jones. I think if he throws a much better ball there, it could be, it's not going to be a touchdown because he doesn't have that kind of speed, but it's an easy completion with a lot. It doesn't even have to be a perfect ball in my mind for it to be an easy completion. That's a credit to the kind of separation and the kind of release that Colin Johnson got on this route up the right sideline on that third and three. Very bad ball from Jones here. Like it was out of bounds. It wasn't even a play that jo- that Johnson could have like, and Johnson again has like a six foot six frame. He could have, but it wasn't a play where he could have like leaped up to grab it or made some kind of like in air adjustment. So regardless of that, it was my favorite route run. All right. Give me a play call of the week from Jason Garrett. The two point conversion was awesome. Reduced bunch to the to the field side and then they send Saquon Barkley as a fast four in that direction and the linebackers just all pay attention two of them flow in that direction towards Saquon Barkley there's no eligible receiver other than Kyle Rudolph on the backside who's going to pin that five technique and then they're going to run a pin pull power gap type concept quarterback power with Daniel Jones who follows his blocks and runs over Grady Jarrett that's a good play call and it's aggressive play call it shows a lot of trust in Daniel Jones a quarterback who fumbles the football quite often but there that was a very, very impressive play by Jones, and I do like the play call. Just a little bit different, something that deviates from the same stuff that we end up seeing week in and week out from Jason Garrett. Yep, no doubt about it there either. All right, I like that one. I liked um, I liked the throwback to Tony. I thought that was probably my play call of the week. I wish they could incorporate that a bit more into their game plans. It seems like a good idea. Um, run that a little bit more. And that, I think that's a, a pretty fun play there. I mean, you get the ball to space to, Tony, to somebody like Tony who can – like we said, really do good things with it. All right, give me an overall pass blocking grade for the game. Pass blocking, I'm going to say a 6.8, slightly above average, but not necessarily anything that is is, is excellent. Because I, I would say, man, there, there were pockets. There were clean pockets for Daniel Jones to step into. I think Nate Solder is definitely over the hill. I think Ben Bredesen struggled in pass protection. Billy Price is Billy Price. Will Hernandez had some bad reps, but also had some really, really good reps. And then Andrew Thomas is is coming along very, very nicely. And we'll talk about him in a little bit. So I'm going to go with the 6.8. What about you? I'm going with a 6.9. 6 to 9. Yeah, I was hoping you would say nice after that, but. Nice. 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 Um, yeah, 6.9 for me. Listen, I, I think it was much better than weeks one and two. Not like to the point where I can go higher than a seven or a seven or higher, I should say, but it was better. It was improved. There was one really great player, like we said, like you mentioned. And then, you know, Solder was the big liability. Price was a little bit better. Hernandez was a little bit better. Even Bredesen was a little bit better from where he was at. That's not good, but he was a little bit better from where he was at. And just felt like there were better pockets overall for this Giants team. And they were able to run a lot of those like first down shot plays that Garrett has now become becoming more of a staple of Garrett's play call. And thank God. I mean, until they figured out. This is the problem with Garrett. It's like, yeah, he's doing, he's just such a bad coordinator that like you could see already, Nick, that like people are going to start to eventually get onto this, right? Like they're going to get the film because he, he, he finds something and he just goes for it over and over and over again. These first down out of the, you know, 
uh, single for, I'm sorry, not at a single, obviously at a single back, uh, with Jones under center, these, these play action into the drops, I can just see a play where, where they're going to send a blitzer screaming around the edge. And before Jones can, can turn back around, he's going to get sacked, hopefully not a fumble because you, you put it on film this much and you run this play this much. It's not the exact play, but it's a version of it with the, you know, under center play action to the deep, deeper type drop. And then the throw down the field into that intermediate range. Like, it just it's it's the same it's a Jason Garrett staple man he finds something he likes and he goes through it but the fact of the matter is they ran that a bunch and they had good pockets for it so I got to give the offensive line some credit when it's due and so I'll give it a six point nine anything else on that or should we go to the run blocking grade now let's get into the run blocking grade and I'll I'll start us off here I have a five point nine for the run blocking grade I think it was worse than the pass blocking grade and usually it always came down to one player making a mistake that sometimes was a tight end. That sometimes was Will Hernandez, but all it takes is one mistake along the offensive line, one mistake out of six blockers, and then the play just goes for a negative one or negative two-yard loss. But I also think there were some nice holes. I think the Giants were able to move some bodies off the line of scrimmage when they were in duo blocking. I think their counter play worked, I would say, solidly, definitely not as efficient as it was last season. So I'm going to go with a 5.9. I guess you could say it's slightly above average, which makes me kind of question myself a little bit. Maybe I should have went a little bit lower, but that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll go 5.1, even though I would probably have to look back at last week. As long as I went like in the fours, which I think I did last week, I think a 5.1 is fine for this week because there was at least two plays that Saquon Barkley did a, ter- a horrific job on, in my opinion, of processing and just left a ton of yards on the field. Really well-blocked plays that he did a bad job on. I've got to be honest. i got to call it like I see it. I know you saw it on the film too. I know there's going to be a lot of clips out there. I'm going to put some on Twitter. It is what it is. We can't just say because his name's Saquon Barkley, he's great or he's playing great. He didn't, I don't think he played all that great in this game from a processing standpoint. Um, there was one play that it just, it, 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 that comes to mind immediately. I'm trying to look for it now where he just left a lot of yards on the field in the red zone area, a play that I felt like earlier in his career, it's a touchdown or not even just his career. Like, a Nick Chubb, a Dalvin Cook is decisively cutting through it for the touchdown. So I thought there were more holes, but at the same time, they're generating absolutely next to nothing through the middle. There's no interior push whatsoever. There's also times like we talked about earlier where they have that double team with Solder and Hernandez, and somehow a three technique slips through it and gets the tackle. Like They have tons of plays where they have a hat on hat and just zero push despite having a hat on hat, which just shows a bad offense, a bad run-blocking offensive line right there. And it shouldn't be too big of a surprise your offensive line consists of three guys named Ben Bredesen, Billy Price, and Nate Solder, three of the worst players at their position right now. Like, I regret, Nick, I regret calling Ben Bredesen a rich man Shane Lemieux. He's not. He's not a rich man Shane Lemieux. That was what I was hoping he would be. But the reality is he's he's just Shane Lemieux. He's just what he is. I said it before the podcast, so I'm stealing your line here. But he is just Shane Lemieux. He's not a rich man. He's just Shane Lemieux. And, man, let's get to the Solder thing right now while we're talking offensive line. I see no reason he should be on the field anymore. I think starting next week, Matt Parrott should play 100% of the snaps. Is that a hot take? I don't think it's a hot take, but there's a reason why Matt Parrott isn't playing, which makes me question how bad this kid looks in practice because we don't have our eyes on Matt Parrott. We saw a little bit of him in the preseason, a little bit of him in the regular season. But what is he doing so bad at practice, and why is Nate Solder out there? Because Nate Solder has struggled. Nate Solder is probably the worst offensive lineman out there. He's playing tackle, which is a primary position. Matt Parrott, I mean, this dude has all the physical 
measurements that you want, but why can't he put it all together and overtake Nate Solder for this job? What's actually going on there? I question a lot of things about the entire situation, but there's a reason why he's not out there, which concerns me about Matt Pear overall. Yeah, that's fair. That's, I think that's a really fair statement. Like Maybe I'm just not putting enough credence into the fact that Matt Pear just may not be... He just... It just may be so bad in practice that they can't put him out there. Like we're all kind of just taking the leap forward because he had a lot of hype and we liked how he, his build is. And we had, you know, he had some good reps in that Washington game last year during mm-hmm. the run game. I just, I just don't know how much worse it can get than Solder. I don't think, I think Solder looked, I mean like that. Yes. Like I'm focusing on like his, you know, three to five really bad pass blocking reps, but I guess for the other ones, he was probably solid at the very least. And maybe Parrot just doesn't have enough solid in him. And he'll, you know, it'll be more than just those three to five in addition to whatever happens in the run game. But I just feel like you're immediately getting a boost in the run game. Like Solder to me is just so bad right now in the run game. And it's, it hurts this team, especially when they run right. And they ran right a decent amount in this game. Just didn't seem to get anything going there. Let's talk about the one player who struggled the most on the all 22. And then we'll get into the best player on film. So first the player who struggled the most. Mine's Ben Bredesen and I thought he looked actually, and this is going to sound a lot like Shane Lemieux, as you just said earlier. I thought he looked good on those counter pulls. I thought he quickly got into his pull. He located the end man on the line of scrimmage. He exploded low to high, uncoiled his hips through the target, all the things you want to see in those situations. But there are just plays, and this happens in the pass and in the run game, where he just gets beat. And when he's beat, he's beat pretty darn badly. And it kind of blows up the entire play. I mean, he had a one play that we went over earlier that blew up an entire drive, cost the Giants four points. And those types of plays lose you football games. So it has to be Ben Bredesen for me, despite the fact that he does have some solid reps on tape. The ones that were low were really low, and they cost the Giants. That's fair. I think he's the obvious one. He would be my choice only to pick one, but I'll go Evan Ingram for mine. You know, the fumble is key. It's costly. It's when you're not on the field and you're not making that many plays and that's one of your plays, you don't protect the ball. You don't secure it. You don't flip your body, you know, into that forward position to secure the football. It didn't happen in this game, but it could have very well cost the giants in this game in another, you know, in another game, I should say with that kind of fumble. And so he just didn't do enough good to outweigh the bad. He's still, a liability as a blocker it doesn't help you in, in, in that regard in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, he's just he's he's my pick there. Give me the best player you saw on film. I think we have the same best player. I'm going to let you take that one, and I'm just going to go with Colin Johnson, just because not a lot of people expected to to see a receiver this explosive, a receiver with the release package he has, and a receiver kind of come through in big spots for the Giants, despite the fact that he couldn't corral that one pass on third down. But it was a tough pass where Daniel Jones threw it across his body. Probably shouldn't have threw the football. But he did. But I'm going to go with Colin Johnson and hope that uh, he could take this award from the Big Blue Banter podcast and ride it into New Orleans and actually really kind of impress against what's going to be a really, really tough defense, man. I am worried about the Giants in that game. Oh, I am so worried about the Giants offense in this game. I think the Giants offense is going to look really bad and people are going to be really mean about it. Uh, just how bad they look in this game. That's, <laughs> really that's my take on it. It's going to get really nasty on Giants Twitter after the, what the offense, I'm very worried about the offense in this game. It just, that Saints defense looks really good. And I think Jones is going to struggle big time. It's not just Jones though. It's this freaking crap offensive line that Gettleman put together with four years and the most draft capital in the goddamn world. And this is what we have guys telling us in the off season, we obviously like our offensive line more than you do. And now what? And then you're panic trading for Bredesen. By the way, after this lost season where the Giants lost their freaking 
<laughs> where the, I mean, it's unlikely they'll make the playoffs. We also lost a fourth round pick, like for the stupid Bredesen trade. Like that's it. That's a fourth round pick. That's going to be a top hundred again. Or, I'm sorry, just outside, just inside the hundred again in that hundred range. Like it always is for this crap team. They're giving up like a top one ten pick for Bredesen. Like come on, man. Like. At the time, I get it. Like, we were okay with the deal. It's a panic deal. You kind of have to do it. But don't put yourself in a position where you have to do those kinds of moves. It's a bad long-term thing. It's a no-process move. It's just another reason why this guy is such an awful GM, and he's caused long-term damage for this franchise that hopefully can be picked out of, we hope. But, like, we just let this guy breed here for four years, and I've been saying for years this guy should be gone. And that's it. End of my rant, because that's not the point of this. But I did want to talk about Andrew Thomas, because – that might be his final great play. <laughs> Gettleman's only really good pick. He's starting to really play well. I don't want to say just yet that he's looking like the like an all-pro or anything like that, but he was looking really good in this game. And it wasn't the, the, the hardest matchup against those Falcons' edges, but it wasn't an easy matchup. They have decent edge players there. And I just thought he looked really in control the entire game, really smooth, really balanced. Just like when you watch – it's like maybe it's also because I'm comparing him to Soldernick. And it's just such a night and day type thing when you're watching the film. But it just felt like he was in control the entire game. And I really liked what I saw from Thomas's game. This was a culmination of the first two weeks where he played better. And then this was, I thought, his best game this season. Yeah, he looked great out there. And the one thing I will say about Bredesen, too, to kind of go back to uh, just that entire situation, I think if Ben Bredesen wasn't here, the Giants offensive line would be in a much worse spot, which just goes to show you that the coaching hubris and the, the entire organization the Giants of the Giants, the hubris that they had about this offensive line was just so off during the offseason. Because what if this was Kenny Wiggins in there? That's a lot worse than Ben Bredesen. And Ben Bredesen did not look great in this game whatsoever, but I feel like he's a much better option than a lot of the other interior offensive linemen that were on this Giants roster, which just speaks to the negligence of this entire organization to neglect the offensive line during the offseason. Yeah, I get it. They, they signed Zach Fulton. I don't know what you were going to get out of Zach Fulton, but his heart wasn't fully into it for whatever reason. And that's his prerogative. And that's all well and good. Yeah. Joe Looney retired too, but you had draft capital and you decided not to invest in young offensive linemen because you had a lot of faith in Will Hernandez. You had a lot of faith in Shane Lemieux. You had a lot of faith in Matt Parrott and Shane Lemieux's injured. That sucks. Will Hernandez doesn't look like the guy you thought he was. Matt Parrott can't see the field over Nate freaking Solder right now. So you were wrong. You were flat out wrong. Like, way, me and you were not on board with cutting Kevin Zeitler. We were not on board with that decision. And that's another one. The decision to cut Kevin Zeitler, to free up the cap space that they have ultimately poured into players, you know, the Dory Jackson, Kyle Rudolph, these types of players. Like, we were not on board with the decision to cut Kevin Zeitler. And right now, this offensive line would be better with Kevin Zeitler. There's just no denying that right now. There's no way to argue, yes, no, maybe, oh, he was playing worse at the end. He didn't look like himself. He's looked pretty solid with the Ravens so far. He's looked pretty damn solid with them. And you know what? At the same time, you cut him and then you don't draft anybody. Like that That's your offensive line play. And that's kind of why they're in the position they're in now. Sadly. Sadly, man. Yep. But anyway... That's it for the All-22 Offensive Breakdown. Thank you so much for still tuning in with us. We hope that you'll stay with us through it all, through 0-3, through whatever this season turns into, because good God, the schedule is tough. Like, uh, I didn't even realize, Nick. I <laughs> I wasn't even going into last week realizing how much of a must-win it was. And then even, like, dating two, be- two weeks back, these past two games were, like, basic must-wins for the Giants. They really needed to get to 2-1, in my opinion, to have a shot at really anything that matters this year. Because... They're going to have to face just a gauntlet of teams. I mean, 
the worst record of the teams they're facing in the next eight are the Chiefs at one and two, and that's the Chiefs. They're not beating the Chiefs. <laughs> they got the Bucks. They got the Raiders, who are three and zero this year. They have the Panthers, who are three and zero this year. And good God, if that Panthers defense stays healthy, Jones in the offense is going to look unbelievably bad in that game. It's going to be a bloodbath offensively, just a bloodbath. And then that's not it. Like they're also facing this week, the Saints in the dome for the first time since the hurricane. You don't think those fans are going to be rocking and roaring? It's going to be so loud for Jones. It's going to be so hard to hear. The Cowboys, who look great right now, Dan Quinn has done a great job with that defense. Micah Parsons made a huge difference. Stephon, uh, not Stephon. Trayvon Diggs is taking a huge leap forward. He looks awesome out there. And then, and no one st- that offense is unreal. They got Kellen Moore, one of the best play callers in the game, and they're. Sp- Put up 30 with ease. The offensive line's back there. So, I mean, this is a gauntlet schedule. They really needed to win these two games. But thank you for sticking with us. We're going to keep doing this, regardless of how bad it gets. It's been ugly in the past we've done it. It'll be – we hope it won't be ugly in the future. But if it is, we'll still do it as well. Thank you so much for everyone who's left a rating and review on iTunes. That really helps us grow. Thank you for everyone who's checked out Nick's videos on our Big Blue Banter YouTube page. That also really helps. And thank you to for all of you who do all three. You left the rating and review. You download every podcast. Actually, the main thing. I should always pod that out. Even if you're not going to listen because it's so painful. We've had some listeners say, it's too painful. I don't want to listen to this anymore. I get that. I totally get that. Like, if I was in your position, I would understand. I still say you should listen. You can learn some things. And you can vent with us on the frustration after the losses on the reaction pods. But please, even if you're not going to, you want to, you know, just distance yourself from the pain. I get that. Just please hit the download button. That's what really we really need, and that's what helps us. And then lastly, just follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBander. Nick, anything you want to add before we sign off? Yes, if we want to be happy about anything, Dan, it's that the Bears suck. And other than the fact that they play the Lions this week, they have the Raiders, they have the Packers, then they have the Buccaneers, then they have the 49ers, and then they have to the travel to Pittsburgh, which isn't really that challenging right now but playing in Pittsburgh is hard and then they get the Ravens so at least the Bears are looking really crappy too so the Giants may be in a position to have two top five or six picks which would be unique well said very well said there and I will say this it pained me to see Justin Tucker's 66 yard field goal the record-breaking field goal doink in I was already thinking about the draft and how great it would be for the Lions to steal a win there for Giants draft position. Love to get a Lions win there. You love to get wins from teams like the Lions right now. You're looking for the Lions to win some random games. You're looking for the Jaguars to win some random games. Looking for the Texans to win some random games. The Jets to win some random games. And the Lions, those are those are your big random game winners you want. Just whenever you're watching football from this point on, you see a close game like that Lions-Ravens game, root for the Lions type, root for the Jets type, root for the the Jaguars, the Texans. These are teams we want to win football games. Move that draft capital up. But like you said, man, the Bears' offensive line is an absolute disaster. Justin Fields can't fix that on his own. They're going to lose a lot of football games, even though their defense looks awesome, but they're going to lose a lot of football games. And that's great news for the Giants, man. I mean, we have to start thinking forward. Like, it's not that this season's over, but it's not looking great. I guess that's how (laughs) – I don't know what to say, Nick. Any any positive note? Uh, any other? I you brought the positive, and then I kind of wrapped it with negative. Let's do one more positive thing. Think of something. Without in Arizona, is that is that going well? Life out in Arizona is fine. Yeah, I like it out here. I mean, nice. it's not Jersey. I miss Jersey. I love Jersey. But of all the places, I can't think of a like Jersey But you know, you you adapt to to your surroundings. You overcome whatever situation you fall into, and you uh, persevere. But I don't really feel like I have to persevere because I have it pretty good out here, just living with. My girlfriend. Nice. Nice. 
All right, there we go. Things are still going well. And I hope for all the Giants fans who tune in, you'll stick with us. We're going to break down content on Twitter, the YouTube page, and on here. You get the why and the what of, of what's happening. And I think that's important as well. So thanks again to everybody who tuned in. Have a great rest of your week. And you'll hear from us very shortly on the Defensive Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.